0: You are listening to the Effective Statistician podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today we are talking about Plotting Your Career and Preparing the term An interview with Diana Stewart. And this is a very special episode because we recorded this interview during a webinar. And so there are also listener questions today. And now the music. Now recently we talked about a career outside of statistics with the interview with Lucy. Today we are talking about the career inside statistics and there's a lot of similarities between um, having a great career as a statistician, having a great career as a programmer and uh, Diana has presented quite often about this topic. So watch out for a really really nice interview with her. If you like this podcast, then please tell your colleagues about it. They may benefit from it as well. And being a nice colleague is means you're also helping your colleagues. So tell your colleagues about it. Very, very simple. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to this live recording of a podcast episode. It's a really, really nice opportunity because it's a little bit of a different setup than usual for me. Usually, I'm sitting in this office and I'm just having the other person on on the other side that I see, and maybe I don't even see the other person that I'm I'm speaking with, or I'm sitting here just for myself and speaking. And today it's a different setting because we have listeners for this podcast episode. Directly in this setting with the webinar, um, which is quite quite nice for me to experience. And so, with that, I want to give uh, thank Diana from Verumet, who's uh, with me on the call today, who where we want to speak about career planning and and how to prepare for a good career. Hi, Diana, how are you doing?
1: I'm fine, thank you, Alexander very well. But How are you?
0: Very good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine as well. It's a funny March, end of March day and um, yeah, we're all in lockdown so it's a <laughs> quite unique situation um, yeah. <laughs> and so lots of turbulent times but I think these turbulent times are, we have anywhere in our industry all the time, you know, where there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions that can go on, there's um, Pipeline failures that you can have, all kind of uh, different changes that can have an influence on, on your career. And that is kind of that is the topic for today where we want to talk about how you can prepare yourself um, having all these changes in mind in order to uh, move forward for with a robust career for yourself. Uh, But before we dive into this topic, Diana, maybe you can give a little bit of an introduction to the audience in terms of uh, what you have been up to and uh, why this topic is so much of interest for you personally.
1: Okay, Um, thank you. Yeah, so uh, this is me, Diana Stewart. I'm a a senior manager of programming at Veramed. I've been in the industry quite a long time. Um, I've, I've I started, well, I moved over to the pharmaceutical industry in the late 90s. Um, I have quite a variety of experience. I've worked for both big and small pharma companies. I've worked for CROs. I've worked as a contractor. I spent 10 years contracting. Um, And I think along that path, I've experienced lots of different line management styles. and, um, And I think... Whilst I was contracting, I recognised that how easy it was for your career to stall, so to speak. My my own career path has been somewhat convoluted. I, I didn't just get to programming straight out of school. I um, I actually have a customer service background and I started my life working, my working life anyway, at, at Gatwick Airport, spraying perfume on people. So it was it was the early 90s. There was a recession on in the UK. It was a it was a different time. Um, I moved into the banking industry and eventually I discovered that I had this aptitude and a and liking for programming. I went back to school, I studied, still working in the banking industry and then moved over to the pharmaceutical industry. And then I suppose through all these various experiences um, I came to the conclusion that I I had quite a passion for developing people and for line management and line management means different things to different people. For me it's about guiding people through their professional development paths and working out what engages them and, um, and helping them to develop themselves.
0: Okay awesome yeah and I think it's that's more and more typical that we see people from all kind of different backgrounds uh, joining the farm industry as a statistician or as a uh, a programmer. Uh, It's not that you kind of usually go to university and you have directly exactly that in mind and then you start your career in a specific company there you work for 30 years or 40 years and then kind of Go through the ranks. Most of the careers, I think, are, are much more kind of less straight. And because people, you know, over the years see what what are their strengths and what are their kind of what do they really love and these uh, new opportunities unfold. And then it's about seizing these opportunities. And thinking about that, when you speak to others about their career. What kind of mindset topics do you, do you discuss about?
1: I want to know, want to know about what motivates them as an individual, um, where their interests truly lie. Everybody is different. I think they want to they need to recognize what their strengths are, their individual strengths are, what they're good at, what they find challenging, what they actually don't like. I think it's probably being about, quite honest about with yourself about what they do and don't like. And I suppose in terms of mindset, what motivates them? So what will actually make them um, look at developing themselves further?
0: Yeah, I I think that is really an important point in terms of if you want to have a successful career, the basic for that is a very, very good understanding of of yourself. And um, yeah, if you hear someone screaming in the background, it's my little daughter. <laughs> so that is, I think, part of the lockdowns. <laughs> All the kids are now uh, at home, so that gives you a little bit of a live feeling here. But, but coming back to the mindset, yeah, I think the it's really important to have a good understanding of yourself, to have a good understanding of what are your strengths and limitations. And what motivates you? Yeah, I think from a motivation perspective, I'm always thinking about Dan Pink's kind of three points there is um, mastery, autonomy and, and purpose. And purpose is, you know, what drives you forward? What is kind of what gives you a purpose? But the important thing here is the mastery. What do you want to really develop and what do you want to spend your time doing, what skills do you want to perfect and and bring to mastery, what do you want to work on many, many days in your career, because that, I think, for me, is is a successful career if you can maximize your potential in there. For me, a a successful career is not necessarily that you become a VP of statistics somewhere, um and I think <laughs> most people actually don't want to become a VP of statistics. Um yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but that you really be, move the needle and and um get successful in the crafts that you're doing. And that can have m- lots of lots of different aspects. In terms of other things about the mindset, what, what else do you think is is the important there?
1: Yeah, I suppose. I mean, you, you touch on it a bit there. I think it's recognising that our career isn't our job title. You know, people do tend to get quite hung up on job titles. So really, it's actually recognising what um, sort of range of skills make up who we are and what we do and, and what what we want to to be. Getting away from the whole job title thing is it's quite challenging, actually, because we, we sort of attribute some of our self-worth to that, I would say. So focusing on what we're capable of and what potential we have, setting ourselves reasonable objectives, achievable objectives. And we talk quite a lot about smart objectives don't we? and probably being open to new experiences and not being afraid to change our path, not being able to, you know, afraid to say, actually, this path I'm on is not working out. Let me move my my focus slightly. Let me look at what else is going on. What skills do I have that can be matched sort of in a, a better direction for me?
0: Yeah, I think in terms of the job titles, that is a, that's a really important point because it speaks to the fact that we tend to compare ourselves to others. Yeah, and and job titles is is one way of doing that, and I am not sure that is a really really healthy way of progressing your career. That you always compare yourself to others, because everybody has a different background, everybody has a different situation, and I would say it's much more interesting to look into yourself and see the others more kind of and in, as inspirations as kind of motivations but not try to yeah emulate someone else's career or try to copy someone else's career because everybody's different and everybody had a kind of different time in their career mm-hmm. if you if you compare yourself with someone that is uh, let's say 20 years longer in the in the industry well at the time, they are, you know, your age. The industry looked completely different. There were completely different um, challenges, like like now. So, focus on yourself. I think this is is a, a key thing here, and don't get yeah. hung up on on job titles. Yeah. Oh.
1: Absolutely. I mean, apart from the fact that they're completely inconsistent across the industry anyway, so there's no point in comparing comparing at all. So as somebody who's interviewed quite a lot of people, I know that uh, somebody coming from a company where they might be a principal programmer in one company, that might only be a senior in another company. So we, we always look at what have, what have they done? What skills have they picked up? What um, behaviours are embedded? What and it and it's consistent kind of behaviours and experience. That's what you're looking for, and um, and that's what that's what we should be looking for ourselves in our career. It's not our careers aren't these tick lists that we go through and then say, oh well, that's it. I've got to the end of the tick list, therefore I'm at this level. It's about demonstrating. Um, certain types of behaviours, certain levels of skill, I think. uh, And and so and that's that makes up who, you know, what, what, who we are and what we can do. And I think the other thing is, is, as you mentioned, you know, that that somebody coming into the industry um, 20 years afterwards, which which I have quite a lot of experience with, we recruit a lot of graduates and they come in. And I've I've been in the industry for over 20 years and they are quite intimidating because they're smart and, and and amazing and pick up things really quickly. And uh they're 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 being measured in a different way, I would say. So it's um it's not fair to compare. It you have to do the hard work of looking at everybody individually um and seeing uh where they as an individual are going to go where they are going to shine and um, you can't compare somebody who's come in um, uh, with with a year's experience um even though they might be the most amazing programmer with somebody who's got 10 years experience um who's also a good programmer but all that other experience behind them so
0: yeah 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 and i think the other part that you kind of talked about was not so much getting hung up on what is the exact kind of next move you want to make in in your career. I think uh, that's a trap that you kind of focus so much. I want to go to exactly that position. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And you kind of focus all your efforts, all your bets on this one position and that may go away. Or you know, someone else will take it. You may be sick during the time. It it it's open or whatsoever. So there can be all kind of different things that that is coming up, and so it's important not to kind of be so stuck in your kind of thinking with your career that that is the only next move. It's more about okay, what are your strengths and how you can grow these different strengths in these next different positions, and then. Have a feel for, OK, what could be all these different uh, positions that you that you uh, go into? In terms of that, any advice you can give people on how to get more kind of a more broader view on, on these different opportunities that could come up?
1: Yes, yeah, so I suppose it's, it's quite difficult, isn't it? Because you're um, uh, within... Companies, your you, your next step is usually a job title. So actually, <laughs> you need to look at what makes up that next step. Um, and different companies do it in different ways, you know. And um, but it's it's much um, easier when you're developing somebody and they can see that next step and know. All the different components that might make up that next step, because then you can take the view of right where where do you need training, where do you need support, and which bits of this um, uh, next step are the things where they're really appealing um, and you really want to go to, and the other bits that maybe you don't want to do. So. For example, I mean, some companies put, put line management in the, that next step up, but not everybody yep. wants to be a line management. And, and frankly, not everybody can be a line manager. They're not necessarily built to be line managers because their skills lay, lay elsewhere. But they might be excited about another part of this. And that's the, the bits that you're motivated to do and, and to stretch yourself and challenge yourself. They're the bits to focus on. Um,
0: yeah, and- I, I completely agree. That's, that's kind of in terms of the next step in your career. I think that can be, you know, a promotion. You stay basically more or less in your, your in your job, but you mm-hmm. get, you know, higher salary grade and a better job title and a little more responsibilities in in your job. So, so something. Lots of companies have these kind of. Uh, technical career paths, for example, where where you start as a junior statistician and you become a senior statistician, a principal statistician, uh, and, and people get really creative with these kind of things. And of course, then it's kind of usually quite clear to understand, okay, what are the requirements for the next level? And to have, well, it should hopefully be clear what are the requirements of the next level. And it should be clear to you and your supervisor in order to help you help you get into that. That's that's what you're talking about, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. In in essence, I think um It's looking at, um, well, I suppose (laughs) people have heard of the Peter principle. There's no point in promoting people into a position that they keep promoting them until they fail. People need to move forward in a very natural way that the the progression needs to be a consistent thing. It's it's building on it, building on it. As you say, um, the point of promotion is best when somebody is already there demonstrating that they're capable of doing that next job um and it's and and that is the best kind of progression in my opinion
0: yeah, yeah i completely agree so i think that that's a that's a very common rule you get promoted when you are, have already demonstrated that you can perform at the next level um yeah. and you then you get these additional responsibilities and then it's there it's of course important to work with your line manager That mm-hmm. he he that, that he gives you the right tasks that you are also, you know, that you can show actually that you're capable of doing these things and that you also ask for it. I think that is a really, really important other mindset topic is the career is your responsibility. It's not your line managers or the CEOs or whatsoever's responsibility. It's your responsibility and you need to leverage then your your line manager, HR, whoever you know the your external network, whoever to to grow your career. Uh, but but centrally is of course the, the line manager first.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think um, building that relationship with your line manager really important being able to have those really open discussions because you need to be able to go to your line manager and tell them what you want if you're not comfortable doing that then then that line management relationship's not working very well Um, and so it is absolutely having those discussions about what what is next and what and and it's your line manager isn't there to fix you your line manager is there to guide you to help you recognize maybe what resources and support that you might require along the way the more that an individual has about where they want to go next and maybe what training they might require these this is sort of a discussion to have with your line manager but that 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 drive that motivation to get to the next step needs to come from from the individual but it's not everybody is necessarily capable of thinking in that way initially so it's it's the line manager needs to kind of draw that out of the individual maybe by asking the right sorts of questions and as you mentioned it's about having the right type of work that's where the line manager can help because then they can go to whoever is uh divvying up the work if you like if you can't if if your line manager doesn't know that you're not experiencing the type of work that you require, they can't actually do anything about it. But and if you don't ask, you don't get. In essence, so uh, your line manager quite often is that conduit to the next to the resourcing team or whoever um, to try and at least get you the right type of experience. Um, of course, making sure that you are actually prepared for that experience. So. Um, there's no point in, in I suppose, nagging your your line manager that you want to do something, let's say, lead a study, when you haven't really thought about what that entails, or yeah. <laughs> you just think, that's the next thing I want to do. I'm going to go and do it. <laughs> so actually, um, you could potentially be, you know, dropping yourself in it completely. I think that's 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 not helpful. So actually, um, it's talking about and planning these things. And making sure that an individual is prepared. So if they want to if they want to lead, then it's making sure that they've got um, the right kind of um, coaching or maybe a mentor or being asked the right questions along the way that they're getting direction when they need it, support when they need it. And then as they grow in confidence, kind of slowly taking that away and allowing them to to move on themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you think about um, these kind of growing your skills and, and, you know, being able to deliver at the next level, there's you can have kind of formal training on things like that. You can have um, on-the-job training and then you have maybe, you know, all the usual things that you do anyway. In terms of the proportion of that from a kind of time commitment perspective,
1: how do you think you know
0: is the ratio between these these three different things
1: so I suppose formal training is probably the smallest amount actually um I think in general it's it's quite nice to learn about something in a sort of short sharp session get the information but if you don't use it then it's quite easy to lose it I would say but sometimes it's um it's it's getting that training at the right time, that in itself can be quite difficult as well. But more valuable can be the kind of specific coaching or having the right mentor or having just somebody in the background that's supporting. Um, that, I would say, would be more, a greater percentage of, of the type of support and learning that one can get. And then there's what an individual does for themselves when they go away and learn about maybe in their own time as well, because that demonstrates quite a um, inclination towards um, motivation for, for learning, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Actually said, that, that's a really, really important point. I do learn a lot on my own time, mm-hmm. on my, you know, that's not company time or whatsoever. That's a, that's for me an investment in myself. And investment in my kind of long-term growth, and I would do that whether my company pays for it or not. Um, I read books. I'm being active in, in the community, All these kind of different things. So don't expect that your company, you know, pays for everything that you want to do. Uh, you know, if you want to read a book about a specific topic or things like that, expect that you do that outside of your kind of usual work hours. Um if you wanna become a better programmer, yeah, e- expect that you um probably need to put in some some hours outside of work um to 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 grow your skills. Not everything needs to be kind of done within the work hours. Um I listen to a lot of books while uh I'm actually running or things like that. So so you can combine these things also with with Having fun along the way <laughs> that's a, so so that's a formal training, but I think what's really, really important is to challenge yourself on the day to day tasks that you have mm-hmm. um, there's so much things during the day that you can that you're doing where you can push yourself outside of your comfort zone, where you can push yourself to learn something where you can push yourself to um for example, apply a new technique to program more elegantly, or to be a more effective communicator, a more effective presenter, a more effective listener, a more effective influencer at work. Yeah, so so our work provides us with lots of lots of different opportunities to grow. Each meeting we can see as a as a laboratory of all kind of different influencing and and communication skills. And we can use each of these occasions to become better and uh, grow our skills in there. What I think is needed there is that you know what you need to look out for. So you need to have a little bit of a a common understanding. What are, for example, good soft skills you need to um, develop so that you can actually, you know, abstract what you're seeing so that you understand what, what what is good communication and and what's good influencing what's good listening what's you know how does a good run meeting look like these kind of things but once you have such basic understanding you can use each and every meeting to improve your meeting skills you every communication you can improve your communication skills every Presentation you can improve your presentation skills. Every program that you set up new, you can try to improve your programming skills. So all these kind of it's it's that is I think another kind of mindset on set on parts that it's not just doing the work, but it's growing by doing the work. So that I think is really important. And that is, you know, the bulk of the times that we spend at uh, at work and that we spend in our life. We shouldn't just, you know, turn the handle. It should be something also for us in there.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And I think that probably has quite a um, a big impact on how people feel about their work as well. If they, if they are just turning up, then they're probably not really enjoying their job. They're not really... Um, Enjoying what they do. But um, when you feel that drive to do something better, to learn more about what you're doing and to do it, as you say, to do it better. And I think in particular with the soft skills, that's an area where I think probably training courses are actually quite effective because you can immediately take something away from them and start using them. And uh, they're the sort of things that do need to be practiced, especially for programmers. I think, um, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I, I think programmers are pushing themselves out of their comfort zone with some of the communication things that they're influencing maybe leading meetings they are more of a challenge and unfortunately quite often to practice those we need to do things like role playing which uh, I think we're all uncomfortable with actually so uh, uh, yeah but I have
0: used role play myself quite effectively Mm -hmm. so so with my supervisor in the past where I knew I was going into an uncomfortable situation and um, yeah did a role play beforehand to kind of um experience house that could be and um yeah my, my former supervisor was really quite nice and that that um uh, she could be let's say more mean than yeah. <laughs> the yeah. other person or, 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 you know more <laughs> controversial than the other person, and that could always kind of set me up for success and um also in terms of um Another role play that I really enjoyed was about um uh the g p a hearing so the uh, g b a is the uh, payer board in Germany on the national level where um if you want to get a new drug um, uh reimbursed through the uh, national security system, uh national insurance system uh you need to go through that, and it's quite intense hearing um And the role play beforehand was really, really good to hone in our communication skills, hone in on our executive presence in the meeting, hone in on how we come across. um, And as well as all the kind of content that we would be asked, but that was the the easiest piece Is the kind of the communication and clearly communication and getting the, the messages across was far more important. Speaking about kind of soft skills and technical skills, that's actually a really, really important part of the career planning. Um, How do you see these kind of different skills develop over a career?
1: Usually in the positive direction, I would say, (laughs) Um, (laughs) rather than people coming into themselves. No, I do. I think... um, just as uh, individuals get um, more experience of interacting with each other. And um, uh, I mean, there's that whole thing with the importance of feedback. I mean, such an important thing to have in any working group is feedback, honest feedback, constructive feedback. Um, so that people can learn more about the way that they communicate and maybe understand how they have an impact on other people so (laughs) I think um, it does come down to experience Um, and it is one of those areas where I do think people do have to push themselves a little bit out of their comfort zone maybe to carry on with that experience it would be easy for a programmer to come into the industry and without the encouragement of a line manager and without some objectives that were set for them, they might never develop their soft skills, but that is actually what your line managers for. That's what your objectives for. And so, having um, um, a, a sort of objectives that are useful in a well-rounded way is is very important, I think. And so, I'm always setting a soft skills objective for my line reports.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's completely it's the same as true for their decisions. Mm-hmm. I think if you wanna be more and more influential that directly implies that you need to be honing in on your influencing skills. And um, just because you're technically a superstar doesn't mean that you get that across and that people listen to you and act on uh, what you're thinking. So um, my experience is that the more you're, you know, you're In terms of the career, you get more to more senior levels. And that doesn't need to be necessarily um, more line management responsibilities, but more senior levels also in purely technical tracks. It becomes more and more important to have good, uh, what we call soft skills, good people skills in interacting with people, influencing people, um, selling your ideas to others. Um, that becomes more and more important. We will, in a few minutes, go to the questions, by the way. So if you have any questions, then type type these into the chat. I already see a couple of questions coming, so please continue to type them into the chat and we'll get to them uh, in a minute. There's one last piece I wanted to uh, speak about in terms of um, career, or maybe two pieces. One is kind of the technical side of things and technical uh, knowledge that people should develop. Would you recommend people have more of a, a general kind of understanding of lots of lots of different techniques, or more kind of concentrate on? One single piece, maybe, you know, becoming the best visualization programmer in R becoming, you know, the best Bayesian statistician or whatever. What's your kind of view on that?
1: Honestly, I think it probably does come down to the individual. But I think in general, what you end up with is that most people start their career and they lay a fairly solid foundation, which gives them. A broad range of skills, so I think in general, a statistician wouldn't come out from doing their masters and just leap into the specialist area of bayesian. They probably would want to lay down a fairly good range of um, exposure to different study styles, different designs um, their their role within a study would would vary, and that's the same with programmers as well you know they, they uh, having that broad range of Um, experience is important before specializing and I think people just need to go into specialization with their eyes open really they need to realize that, that they need to be happy with it in times like we're in at the moment where you know maybe there's a bit of uncertainty going on you always want to be able to rely on other skills as well. Your your specialist area may not be in demand at the time, so having that, those other skills to come back to, it's good. I know I know statisticians who program really, really well because if they need to, they could go and get a contract programming if they wanted to do that. So it's it's but if but having a specialist area that really interests you and drives you is is absolutely fine I think but it's just be being aware that you shouldn't um, you you need to have a back on plan I think <laughs> and also I think you need to be a bit careful that you don't get pigeonholed because sometimes what happens is that people get really good at something they're actually no longer actually particularly interested in it they've been diverted off course they get pigeonholed and they, they're somewhere that they don't want to be so they kind of got a out of that somehow
0: so, yeah. I, yeah. I completely see that there's, there's basically two sides of the same coin you want to be known for someone for something you want to have brands to be an expert in, in that particular field but the flip side of the coin is that you know then you're just seen through that lens but i think it's always good to have a personal brand and that being attached to both your your soft skills your leadership skills as well as to certain technical topics, because then more senior people will will remember you much more easily if they know. Okay, she is really good on visualization, and he is really good on non-parametric statistics, and she is really good in Bayesian statistics, and and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that will help a lot in in terms of the last point that I actually want to speak about, and that is exposure. I think exposure is probably the number one driver. Successful career. And what I I mean by exposure is that you are widely seen in terms of what you're capable of, what are your strengths, and uh, where you're heading. And that is both within and outside of your company. And that requires that you network with lots of different people, that you are visible to lots of different people. Because only when you're visible to these people, only then they can consider you to move you into a certain position, yeah being it kind of promotion to the next level or whether that is you know considering you for an opening in a in a completely different area of the business in different area of the department or maybe even a diff- different company yeah. Only if you have that exposure, if you if people know about your profile, know about your brand in a p- positive way, hopefully, uh, yeah. only then you you can get these opportunities, and I think that is really really important. P- you need to basically market yourself as a brand. That might sound pretty salesy, but it's actually the truth. It's yeah. maybe a you know, a truth that we don't like to hear. Maybe think of us, you know, what we talk about, what we kind of produce, and our uh, performance speaks for itself. Unfortunately, it doesn't. So you need to consciously um, market yourself all the time because you never know what kind of opportunities come up. I was recently talking to, Lucy Raoul about that, is she, the chair of PSI, and about quite interesting careers that also led her outside of statistics, and she was approached because she has this wide network, she has this, you know, uh, built lots of different connections uh, into the different um, units, and she also let these other people know that she's interested in going into other directions. So these are the things that you can do to to market yourself. Any thoughts on that for you, Diana?
1: Yeah, I would I would absolutely agree with that. I um Quite often, have an objective for my line reports that they have to raise their profile. Usually, initially within the company, but then outside of the company. So, raising your profile within um, any group of people really important for your career. It's about saying, "I'm here. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not part of the wallpaper. I'm here, and this is what I can do." And when you, it's it, it sort of, it is self-marketing in effect. I think it's, it's, it's um, so that. Uh, everybody is not the same everybody's got these individual skills and that's and that's what you want to be recognized for and I think these industry organizations are really important for that as well because that's part of the networking and getting involved volunteering for those things and again we come back to the point where you know it's investing in yourself because a lot of that stuff has to be done in your own time because it it is yourself it's for raising your profile it's about building your personal brand and 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 getting yourself known and that is why maybe um presenting going to conferences and presenting or presenting in one day meetings or single day events that type of thing presenting webinars for your company all of those type of things can be really really important for for raising your profile but it it doesn't have to start there it can start small it can start with starting to present lunch and then starting to present things that are in your your team meetings knowledge sharing it's just starting somewhere and then building on it
0: yeah there are many more opportunities than you know going being directly the keynote speaker at a PSI conference (laughs) you can start by you know helping with the internal communications in your your company uh, and um, helping there to you know Give other people, help other people understand what you're working on, what you've achieved, what you have, um, how how the things you have developed can help others to uh, work more effectively. Present it internally and present it at conferences, like you said. You can, mm-hmm. and I think PSI, for example, is a really really great opportunity. It's um it's a community that lives by all the different volunteers and all these different volunteers of course work very very closely with each other and that is a really really nice opportunity to grow your network to make connections outside of your company and that helps you to have a much more kind of robust plan in the future that you're not just dependent on your line manager, and nobody else knows about you. Yeah. So, 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 but but there's lots of people within and outside of your company know about what you're capable of, and that you're actually a nice person to work with. Because that is another really important thing. It's not just about what you do and how you do it, but also whether people love to work with you. Nobody wants to have someone in in the in their team that. That is not, you know, likable, so to say. So that's another really, really important thing to have in mind. (laughs) Okay, very good. Now, we talked a lot about the career. We talked about different mindsets in terms of the career, what kind of motivational drivers we have in the career. We talked also about this notion of what actually is a successful career. and That doesn't need to be, you know, the VP of statistics doesn't need to be the kind of, only career goals that you can have, and what you can personally do in terms of your self-reflection, in terms of your branding, in terms of your exposure to have to get to a robust career planning. So, in the last couple of minutes, let's go to the different questions, and you can still type in questions into the chat box, and then we'll will answer these. So the first question is about what are the pointers for mid-career learnings? Diana, what's your (laughs) answer to that one?
1: Mid-career learnings? Is this, oh, this sounds like I've got stuck, actually, (laughs) doesn't it, a bit? Yes, Um, absolutely. I mean, so for some people, they're actually... You know, not everybody needs to keep going forward. That's probably the first point to make everybody wants to keep going forward. People are motivated by different things, you know, whether that's interesting work or it's actually just being able to have a flexible um, a sort of working environment and job and being able to balance that, let's say, with a family life or whatever else is going on in the world. But um, for them, when you when you've kind of got to that mid level and you are looking for what next it, it is really about exploring all the things that are um, uh, are in the world um, shall we say of, of 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 this function so you know we talked a bit about you mentioned PSI um, and there are other organizations where topics might be presented that pique your interest so I think it's about continue if you feel like you've stalled and you need to find something else it's actually looking it's it's researching more and finding other things but is it just that you've stalled because you're not getting the right type of experience and you need to talk to your line manager more about I need more challenge I need more technical experience or I I want more project management experience it's finding the thing that you want to move forward um, and the thing that you're driven to move forward, so it's first of all, I would say identification of the thing that helps you move forward that you want to move forward towards, shall we say, having coming up with a plan of how together and and yeah. finding that training, finding that it's, uh, the resources, the support that you want together.
0: Yeah, I think one other point in terms of you know if you're at that mid-career level, it's very often the decision. Do you want to be become more a technical specialist and mm-hmm. you want to kind of grow in, in some more technical career and focus on that? Or mm-hmm. do you want to um, go for the administrative uh, career and get more and more hands off in terms of uh, statistics and pro- or programming and become more and more kind of an administrative leader? Uh that is I think very often also the question, or maybe you wanna be become self employed yeah or maybe you wanna run your own company that's probably an exception, yeah, but that's another <laughs> you know way to go, and um like Matt and Emma chose yeah, that direction. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Uh, so, so I founded Veromet about 10 years ago. So so that's that's maybe another way to, to think about. Yeah. So it says not everything needs to be in, in corporate bounds. It can be your own corporation. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think you made the point there about, you know, it's, it, it could be that, that you're coming out away from a technical area. I've, I've spoken to people in the past who are almost their progression for them has led them away from the thing that they love. And so whether that's programming or statistics, so they're doing more and more administration, more and more of project oversight. And actually, that's led them away from what they love. So progression for them is actually getting into a more balanced role where they get to do their technical thing and they get to maybe do a little bit of project management as well or they get to do their technical thing and they get to do line management it's what it's identifying that where it is you you want to go what what makes up your ideal role and if you can identify that that helps you <laughs> um, making a plan of where you want to go
0: there's another question here that is really interesting it's about the problem that lots of, at least in the UK, and that's probably actually right across the world, lots of pharma companies uh, are located in rather expensive areas. So, so if you can think about kind of the east and the west coast of the US, um, uh, kind of you know you see more expensive areas around London, and Basel is for sure also not a cheap city. So sometimes it can be challenging for more junior statisticians or programmers to actually go in these, these locations uh, because you need to have a quite good salary to actually kind of have, have a decent life there. One of the points in this question is about remote working opportunities. To be honest, I think it becomes more and more the norm that says remote workers, especially as, as freelancers, as contractors, lots of these are remote workers. I myself, my first teams that I had supervisory responsibilities for were located across four different locations in four different countries in Europe. And so, of course, that is then including remote working however if you're very very early in your career let's say the first two to three years i think you can benefit a lot from working in the office uh, because you pick up so much things by yeah just having someone next desk that you can talk to you're very often also not all the time in meetings so that's maybe one of the curses of, of having a more kind of successful career is that you have more and more meetings and you' <laughs> and and then then it's actually not so much of a problem where where you're located unless you have a company that is very very centralized and everybody is in the same same spots and it's usually quite difficult to be be a remote person but I think there's lots of companies now that are really help you to succeed in remote working. And to be honest, this whole COVID crisis is probably a driver for much more remote work in the future, because now all the companies are forced to have good capabilities in, in place um, if they don't have it yet already. So what, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, I, I I agree. I think it's that this this crisis is um, is it's definitely, hopefully, I would say, going to make us all better remote working. But it's definitely a big remote working experiment, isn't it? Because we we have to be remote. But what it's doing is making organisations think far more about how people stay connected and how people are supported whilst they are remote. I absolutely agree with you that junior members of staff, as people come out of um, university and start their careers, the benefit of being in the office is 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 infinite. I think they get they get far more support, they pick up more ideas, just even between themselves, they they support each other, they motivate each other, they give each other ideas and then they learn more from being in the office that that is forgiven the challenge that we have at the moment with with the COVID-19 crisis is that we have maybe less experienced individuals at home and it's making sure that they are well supported and it's making us think harder about how that is how we're doing that and may, um, maybe there's a lot more communication from from people generally you know in the way that we work because you're not just nudging the person next to you you have to nudge somebody through an instant messenger <laughs> and um, hopefully maybe talk to them yep. but one of the things that i think we're doing more much more is this this video conferencing it's um we need to see faces we need to see people and human contact so it is a trend remote working is definitely a trend and um there are good things and bad things about it as with a lot of a lot of working practices but it's um i think i think we're going to learn from
0: this quite a lot. <laughs> We're nearly at the top of the hour, but I still would would like to go through all the different questions. Is that okay, okay. with you? Yep, okay. There's another question about what about these smaller organizations? So, so let's say if you're working in an organization where you have just, you know, five statisticians or, you know, 10 programmers. And we, there's lots of these organizations, both in the academic setting as well as in um, CRO and pharma setting, because... Actually, in in a numbers perspective, most of the uh, organizations are not the GSKs and Novartis and and Lillies and things like that. It's usually much more smaller entities. What do you think in terms about growing in these kind of more, you know, smaller organizations where there's not kind of hundreds of programmers and statisticians?
1: I think it's proportional, really. I think there's lots of opportunities in in, in these organisations because you're potentially doing more different tasks because there is less of you, so that you're yep. you're, you're getting to see lots of different things. But uh, I believe that there is still just as much um, opportunity to grow within these organisations. Our organisation started really small <laughs> with matt and emma and one statistician abby and you know and she had that benefit of having matt's experience you know to grow her and then um so i think on if you've got five statisticians and 10 programmers it's a similar kind of thing it's more um it's just that it's i don't know more personal i suppose and it, it does depend obviously on your your leaders their experience. They need to be strong. They need to be good at supporting the people within their team and and progressing them. But yeah, and
0: that's uh, that's also really important about uh, delegation. And that you know, not everybody, everything needs to be um, driven by the head of statistics in this small team. But but <laughs> that it everybody can kind of grow in that team, I think. And well, w- what's maybe different in these. Organizations is that you have the only the option to report to one line manager. Yeah. So so and the uh, in all, bigger organizations you m- might more easily move around, and if you're just let's say unlucky with your line manager, <laughs> you can more easily kind of switch to another one. But if you have a really good one in these smaller organizations, then you can have the opportunity to get much more behind the scenes looks than in these really, really big organizations where you will just see a very, very small piece of the puzzle. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a question about whether there's different soft skills needed for CROs and a pharma company.
1: Ah, oh, that's quite interesting. Broadly, probably not.
0: That would be my oh. answer as well. No. <laughs> because it's all people based you know you yeah. need to have people 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 and yeah. you know
1: external customers external customers yeah <laughs> so yeah it's people it's still soft skills it's still influencing it's still having difficult conversations whether that's with your client or your line report or the data management department I mean it's it's yeah. uh it's I don't think that really is that much difference I think that it is possibly important to have strong soft skills in um, a CRO um, (laughs) because you are going to absolutely utilize them and they they will become very important to the way that you work. They should be equally important in a pharmaceutical company. It's just that you may not realize it, I suppose. <laughs> and so you may not be guided towards how important those are. But absolutely, communi- I, I would say, broadly speaking, the same. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so there's another question by Ryan Finch about what skills do you feel programmers are missing? Or likewise, what do you feel statisticians are missing and could benefit from? And to be honest, my answer there is quite simple. Are these soft skills? Are these influencing skills? Uh, we are all trained by our universities in terms of all the technical skills. We all love technical skills. And if you go to a conference, everybody goes to the technical topics. Uh, but, you know, and you'll find lots of very, very good technical statisticians. But if you really want to stand out, then be a good technical statistician and a good leader, good influencer, then you will really stand out from the crowd because that is in short supply.
1: Yeah, I, I think that, that's definitely the case. I must just say hello to Ryan because I know Ryan. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, soft skills, we look at, I think, more and more, we look for more, uh, that, that sort of well-rounded um, experiences. So it's not just somebody who can do something technically they they need to be able to work in a team they need to be able to um resolve conflicts Should we say um they might need to be good at anticipating risks and issues they need to be able to do a whole host of other things and so when people come out of university and they've got a first class degree we're not just Looking at that, we're actually looking at all the other things that maybe they've exposed themselves in their life. It might not be enough that they just become academically amazing. They it it, it is uh, these other things that they've already started to expose themselves to, because then they recognize that being a well-rounded individual is actually quite important in the world of work and will actually help with their success.
0: Yeah. So there's another question about if you want to, you know, grow in your in your role and uh, you want to make sure that the company invests in you, how do you best talk to your supervisor about that? And for me, I think it's, I would say, that's quite easy. You want to you s- sell to your supervisor that you want to bring more value to the company. You want to help the company do better. And that's the primary goal here for the company and that's why you want to have you know the right tasks and things like that say it's about having a good trusting relationship with your line manager so that they help you succeed but for for you to have you know to enter into this discussion is you can just say let's speak about how we can you know contribute create more value for the company i would probably approach it that way what do you think
1: yeah uh, yeah, but that's that's absolutely right. I think um, it is a win win, isn't it? You know, an individual advances and the company gets more value from that individual as they advance and they take on more skills and they and they, yeah, the, the value added is, is an important part of that. It shouldn't be a difficult conversation. It really <laughs> I really feel like it shouldn't be that that relationship with your line manager, hopefully, is comfortable and honest and so that you can go to them and have that conversation and they can help you with it
0: the other point is you know just asking for feedback you know is there a way that i can do this better cheaper faster yeah and and uh, get feedback on that and and make proposals for doing things better yes okay. and that is a you know development in in itself sandra truck is a Asking, is every experience a good experience or should we be more targeted and say no sometimes to pick up things that we feel is more relevant for our future? I think having a good discussion about what's your strengths and what your weaknesses are, where you want to go, will help you to have that discussion with your supervisor. And I, I agree, not every experience is, is a experience that helps you grow and move forward. Yeah. However, of course, on the other side, there's always some jobs to be done that maybe nobody likes to be done. Everybody needs to have, uh, eat that frog, but <laughs> in general, it should be less frogs and, and more kind of easy growth opportunity, I would say. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah and in terms of saying no i think it's maybe you can point to someone else who, who would be better equipped yeah or, or who would be um in a better situation or yeah, uh, to, to do that
1: yeah yeah and i mean it's so i feel like it should be a, a sort of maybe a, a fairly common conversation not that we should always be saying no of course but um and as you say there's always kind of boring tasks to be done we can't just cherry pick what we want to do out of our day and go well that's it that's going to what's going to advance me you we have to there's balance in our roles but if you are being asked to do something that you're really not suitable to do so if you don't have the right personality to be a line manager it's could be that you have that discussion with your line manager where you say, well, why, why do you think I would be the one that is going to be the line manager? It would be far more beneficial for the company to have somebody who has this skill set, which I don't or I, I, I don't have that personality. And likewise for things like, you know, a, a technical individual who said I want to take on these more technical challenges but if they're really not getting the basics parts of the the technical um, work, then then you need to build that foundation first, I suppose. So it's yeah, there are, there will be things that we want to say no to, but it's based in the arguments. It's based at looking self analysis of what we're good at.
0: Okay, last question, and that's really a really nice and interesting one. It's about how can you get more technical help and support, even though you're expected to be at a senior level based on your years in the industry? And <laughs> I think that's a really, really good question. And I, I can very, very much relate to that. That You know, if you're 20 years in the industry, maybe you're just expected to know certain things and you, that you don't know. My best experience for that is um, a discussion I had with Walt Offen uh, quite some time ago. Walt Offen is now retiring or has just retired from APFI and he had a very, very long career at Lilly where I worked as well. And when I first met him, he was already uh, probably the most senior decision from a, from a technical level at, at Lilly. And he was asking me all kind of different things. Yeah. He had a very, very humble approach to his own knowledge, yeah so so he knew a lot of things, but he was always very, very curious, and he was not afraid to ask seemingly stupid questions, yeah, yeah. so I think that is probably something you know of a mindset of an approach that we should retain through our career that we stay humble that we don't take knowledge that we you know always um, you know are open to asking these stupid questions because the moment we stop asking questions we'll stop stop learning and we'll start dying so to say <laughs> so,
1: yeah, um, yeah. It's, I think I think that's an important um, sort of company culture sort of aspect yeah. really is that Within companies, if you encourage questions, always, no matter how stupid, and and that people understand that any question can be asked, and it could be from from somebody who is inexperienced, new to the company, new to the industry, or it could be somebody who has lots and lots of years of experience. Because in this industry, there is just this vast and growing. Sort of skills that we could learn you know not everybody knows everything I mean out of you know as a SAS programmer i probably know less than five percent of what all the things that SAS can do and I've been programming for 20 years and I'm a fairly okay programmer but it's not you're never going to learn everything and everybody has knows different things so you have to have that company culture of being able to ask other people and so if you're a, a senior statistician or a senior programmer, it's accepting that other people know things. And actually, it could be that they're straight out of university and they've learned something at university that you didn't learn. Um, exactly. And, and they can tell you about. And and rather than being, oh, I'm really embarrassed about that, it should be more, I'm really interested to teach me.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, so if you have that problem and i can completely relate to it you know sometimes i also think like well, i'm set long in the industry i should actually know that but i don't know then i think it's you know roll your ego and be open and um, embrace that you just don't know it and and um find ways to 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 learn engage with your colleagues uh, go to conference courses uh, attend trainings And um, stay curious, because I think staying curious throughout your career will make sure that you're happy throughout your career and that will help you to, you know, keep motivated. Because in the end, that is really what for me makes a successful career is that you always are motivated throughout your career, that you're always growing. And um, so when you finally retire You, you. even on your last day you think mm, I learned something new today that would be I think for me a really really <laughs> successful career okay with that thanks so much Diana thanks so much Luis in the background for helping with the organization uh, of the webinar and then thanks so much for, for Veromat for setting up this, this webinar the live recording of a podcast episode
1: thank you <laughs>
0: Speak to you next week. Bye. Bye. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain who helps with the show in the background and thank you for listening. And for this episode also, thanks so much for the team at Veramet with helping to organize this live recording. It was a lot of fun please visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about this podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. And don't forget, tell your colleagues about this podcast so that more people can benefit from this content. Like always, reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.